So you do have a chance to get in front of everybody. But and and always, and this is the mistake everybody makes with marketing copy is they're always saying, oh, it's about us. Here's our product. Here's what we do. And no, you have to put the customer first and think about, you know, what about our product can help somebody through COVID-19. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. So it was only announced a few days ago that there are now over 1 million active podcasts on Apple. Now, that's nowhere near the 31 million YouTube channels that are out there, but I think we're getting closer to that, that point than we think. Today, I'm going to speak with a very accomplished marketing podcaster who's been at it for over a decade, talking shop into his microphone. My next guest speaks, writes, and practices at the intersection of marketing, sales, and technology. He is a producer of Marketing Over Coffee, a weekly audio program that discusses both new and classic marketing with his co-host, Christopher Penn. He's also a partner and head of business development at Trust Insights. Join me live today. I've got John Wall with me. Hey, John, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. In my research for this, I came across, you've, you've got a very interesting show and there's a couple fa- a couple things I picked up that I want to see if are still true. One of them being you guys record it literally over coffee at 5.30 in the morning. I know you can't do that right now with social, social isolation, but is that, is that still something you guys do? No, that's definitely kind of show legend. You know, we, we leave that out there and let it stay that it's alive and that's the story. But yeah, we haven't recorded face-to-face in years. Actually, when we first started recording, that was the hook. I managed to get Chris because we were both podcasting and doing different podcasts. This was like in 2007, and he only lived two towns away from me. And so I said, Look, you know, we need to do something that's on marketing and tech. You know, screw this stuff that we're working on that's, you know, that's for chumps. Let's do our own thing. And you know, why don't we meet at eight o'clock before we go into work? He's like, No, I can't do that. I drive in earlier. I'm like, Well, let's meet at seven o'clock then. He's like, no, no, that's still not all. So it's six o'clock. And you know, I think there was a point where we would meet at five, even five thirty, like came later. And we would, yeah, we would meet in this Dunkin' Donuts near where we live. And the, you could hear like the coffee machines going in the background and people yelling. And we were there for a good five, six years doing it that way. And it was kind of funny over the course of five to six years, still the staff like didn't even know who we were. There was one woman once in a while who would recognize it. But for the most part, we were just like the, the freaks over in the corner. Yeah, that continued forever. But then about seven years ago, I moved to a different town. And so we're not as close as we were. And the tools have gotten so great now. There's Zencaster, and we've been using uh, Squadcast. And those, it's better than being in you know, a place like that together. We each have our own quality microphones, and they're broken out in their own files. So we can clean and edit each one separately and make us both sound good. So yeah, aside from if someday we open our own NPR quality studio, this is, it's really just better to do it virtual. Yeah. And the pictures just make such great hook as well. You've got two guys and it's still pitch black outside in the windows with their massive Dunkin' Donut coffees and all the tangle of wires out on the front. And you can totally hear the coffee makers going in the background those first couple episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was... 
That was quite a time. And like you said, it was pitch black. And, you know, for half the year, it's just freezing and brutally terrible out there. And so, yeah, that was, you know, we definitely had our hearts in it. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I said in the kind of, in the intro, we've hit over a million active podcasts, which I know that you've you've probably been kind of looking at the numbers creep up over the years, but there's definitely been a huge surge in these last couple couple of years of new people coming on the scene and it being taken very seriously as uh, a tool for many different reasons. But what what was your reason for getting it started back in 2007? Well, so yeah, marketing over coffee was 2007, but I actually started another cast called The M Show back in 2005. And so that was before even all that. I had you know, found out about it right at the very start when Dave Weiner had created RSS Enclosures and Adam Curry was testing the stuff out. And yeah, I mean, I got to meet him and hang out with some of those guys. And uh, so for me, it was just like, I've always been into cutting edge audio equipment. That was the big thing. You know, I had an iPod, which was like version two at that time. And, you know, even before that, I, you know, I'd spent 700 bucks on a CD-ROM burner. You know, I had a 1X CD-ROM burner back when I was you know, mixing my own music and stuff like that. So yeah, just getting into cutting edge audio was the thing for me. And so, and that, you know, just as Bill Gates normally says, it takes like 10 to 12 years for it to go from cool technology to cool products. And so, yeah, this wave now is people who have found out that they can listen to all this amazing stuff. Like there's just fantastic stuff out there that's in whatever niche you want. And so, yeah, I basically survived through the, uh, what do they call it? The trough of disillusionment that the analysts talk about, you know, where it's, yeah, it's cool tech, but the rest of the world doesn't care. And then finally, years later, everybody else shows up. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I was, I was taking a look at some of your most archived ones that I could, that I could pull up. And there's one from April 11th, 2007. So 13, almost exactly 13 years ago. And this, I just thought was really cool. I'll just pull it out for you just to give you the, just to let you know, but the episode is called handling a crisis and about webinars. And so that like title just kind of caught my eye because I'm like, wait, what year was this from? Is that, is that, was that released last week or was that released 13 years ago? And so yeah. I go to listen to it and it sounded like it was recorded last week, but all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you have this point where you're saying, oh yeah, like I'm using WebEx or go to meeting for, for my webinars it's totally worth the nine cents a minute that they charge you. And it's like, imagine if one of the, if the, if any video provider today still had that business model, that they could charge you nine cents a minute. Like that would be the craziest business model going right now. <laughs> they would be on fire. It's so funny that you bring that up because just this week. So on Saturday, you have to know like nineties R and B, but Teddy Riley and Babyface did an Instagram and they got online and together. And of course, they show up and there's 490,000 people that immediately jump on it and it breaks everything. But it is, it just made me laugh so much because all this stuff that they were couldn't do and figure out, yeah, I was messing around with stuff like that, like back in 2000. Um, we had a startup, Tybersoft, and we did webinars and virtual meetings and we were doing WebEx. And it, yeah, it's all the same problems. You know, it's like, oh, the audio switches you know, burned out and you're getting an echo because you got a feedback loop and, you know, the services noise reduction isn't working, like all this stuff that we've done. But yeah, the pricing is nuts because, I mean, I still look back on that now. I had a $15,000 WebEx overage for one month. Like wow. we had, you know, we had three sales guys doing like hour-long demos a day. And, and the insane thing with WebEx at that time, they were the only ones, so they made the rules. They literally had my account split. I had like 
$10,000 in regular, I don't know, you're like, like a, a hangout or a, a FaceTime, you know, where it was just person to person. So there was 10 grand over there in that. And then there was another 20 grand to do webinars with like up to 100 people. And I burned up the whole 10,000 in the face to face. And that's where I had the $15,000 overage. And I hadn't used any of the $20,000 for the WebEx, but they were like, no, no, that's a different account. You can't move that money across. You still have to pay us the 20 plus 15. And, and yeah, and so I have to give a shout out to Cliff Utstein, my VP of marketing, who you know beat them with a stick and, and managed to get 15 grand back out of them. But yeah, it's just so funny. Now it's like free all the time, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, paying by the minute, it's completely laughable. It's like in the old days of long distance phone service, you know, where you'd pay by the minute. Now it's like pay your 10 bucks a month for unlimited access. And yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, same problems, different price point. But that headline is, could have been from last week, which was what blew me away. Was like, <laughs> are we talking about COVID or another type of crisis going on here? Uh, another, another last bit before we kind of get into more of the, the marketing stuff, but when one other thing that caught my eye was in your show notes, there was a, one of your uh, sponsors, I guess, was a CD case wholesaler. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's way back in the archives you were doing. Yeah, because I don't even recall that off the top of my head. But yeah, that used to be a thing. Like you would, you know, you'd have a machine in the back that could burn 450 CDs uh, a week. Yeah, because there's this weird niche at that time of companies that were making software and you know, their, the app was 200 megabytes or whatever. And that was just at that point, you know, in like 2000, you would never upload that to the internet. That would be like a $10,000 bill again for, you know, four people downloading that. So you'd have a machine in the back and it wasn't, you didn't have enough to go to China and print, you know, 50,000 of them. You only had your, you know, 800 customers who were each paying you half a million a year for the software and you did still have to get them a CD. So yeah, you had these crazy machines on the back and have somebody <laughs> make jewel cases for you and some poor bastard in accounting and, or marketing had to do a single page with your logo on it, you know, to stick yeah. in there and have it come off a color printer. And God forbid they got wet, they would <laughs> run and leak, you know, it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good times, good times. The, the point there being though is, is sure text changed and it's going to continue to change. But a lot has stayed the same. And I was just kind of wondering, what are, what are some of your biggest takeaways from having a show that has stood the test of time and you getting to kind of watch the, the audio landscape kind of evolve over those years? Yeah, you know, there are, you know, the big things with the show really are the fact that it started because we were able to talk with a community of people. I mean, anybody, and you know this, everybody knows this when you're in marketing automation and tech. Like when it comes to Christmas time or a party, nobody wants to hear about email open rates or what you're doing in SEO. Like people, they just glaze over and don't even understand what you're talking about. Like your family doesn't even understand what you do for a living. So the whole thing with the podcast and even, you know, blogging before that was you can find people and you can tell these stories and they understand what you're going through. You can, you can finally learn what's going on, share tips and tricks. And so that's always been the, the show's focus and to educate and entertain. That's the, the shorthand version of that that we talk about. And so, yeah, that's always been at the heart of it. And that's kind of the key to, you know, not just podcasting, but like all content. If you have a niche of people and you're able to, you know, just have a good time and communicate and learn, that will survive. You, wanna, you don't have to worry about your business model. Like if you've got that community and you're working well together, everything takes care of itself. And, that, and then entertainment or education, which one, or can they not live without the other? 
you know, Chris has always said, and he, he definitely hits a mark with that, in that the education has to be there. Like if you're not saving somebody time or money, you're not going to make it as a business podcast. You know, now that's okay. If you want to do a comedy podcast and just entertain, that's fine. You can do that. That's harder to do and any comedian can do that. But yeah, you ultimately do have to have meat. And that's probably the biggest failure of a lot of the stuff we see coming out now, especially a lot of vendor podcasts, you know, where vendors just start to, you know, it's basically just a audio brochure. And, you know, unless they're bringing some... Now, if you're sure microphones, then yeah, audio podcast is like right in the sweet spot. You're going to do a podcast, you know, here's this mic, here's that mic, and it all sounds good. But if you're making shovels, you know, we don't need the the shovel cast. That's just not, <laughs> nobody's got time for that. But if you take it one level higher than that and you talk about construction and then you can just like throw in shovels every once in a while, then it's entertaining and, and you can build <laughs> that niche around it, right? Yeah, and always look for, you know, like construction, you said is perfect. Dude, I see these guys sitting in the crane all day long. Mm. They, dude, the crane cast could be a, easily a thing. If you could give them a half hour on something, to save some time or, or keep the air conditioning working in the cab or whatever, yeah. uh, that'll work. So yeah, you just have to look to find the spot. Yeah. You've spoken with a lot of marketers over the years and gotten to, to, to talk, like go, de- go deep with them and ask about the tips and tricks and tactics. Um, and I'm sure you found that each and every one of them has a very unique angle on how they do things and how they, they ride certain waves as, as it appears. I was wondering if there are any interesting insights you've come across since the COVID pandemic's happening that, that you've never seen before? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things across the board, but I'm trying to think of, well, a huge thing with COVID is that, again, being at the forefront of stuff, like the company of guys that I'm with now at Trust Insights, we've been virtual for over two years. And I've actually been, it was kind of freaked me out when I was digging deeper into it. I've had a home office for 10 years now. You know, there were a previous couple gigs where I was working both at home or in the office, kind of split time. But that's been the biggest thing with COVID is everybody kind of coming to terms with, okay, what's work at home like and what's virtual work? And even it's so funny, in the first couple of weeks, it was like, hooray, you're a virtual worker. You already get this. Like, you, you know, this is your time to shine. And there's already been a rebound now. Like last week was the first time I saw articles saying, yeah, no, virtual work is not pandemic work. Like that's a different thing. Like you have different stresses in your house that you wouldn't even have if you were just working from home. Yeah. But, but yeah, there, there, um, there's a bunch of different levels to it. Like the, the big one is that so much of virtual work has not come around because so many companies really at the heart of it don't trust their employees enough or don't have the guts to take the risk to do work from home. And, and that's another thing that I, you know, in these companies I was at earlier, the problem was when people tried to do work from home and just kind of handed it out as a benefit to certain people, that breeds resentment and backstabbing and all kinds of terrible stuff. So it really requires something like this where now suddenly you have no choice. It's like, okay, everybody work from home and we either do it or not do it. So yeah, there's been a lot of learning about that. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, once everybody can go back to the office, who does and what happens when they get back there? You know, there'll be companies where people are like, you know, actually, we got a lot of stuff done at home. Like this is, this could work. And there's a lot of people saying this will be really bad for commercial real estate, which could be, but then there will be a whole nother set of companies too, that are just going to say, oh my, you know, thank God we're back in the office. And also from a, from a marketing standpoint, you're now marketing to people who are sitting in their living rooms. And so their mindset and, and context of, of 
am I interested in being pitched right now is so different than if they were at the office and they just deleted all their spam emails and they have to go to a meeting and they're like, all right, cool. I'm ready to be pitched. Like you've got three seconds kind of thing. Yeah, that's been really interesting. And it's kind of, we've seen everything shift further up in the funnel. You know, there's a lot of people now that, you know, before you couldn't get 10 minutes to talk to them. They're like, yeah, sure. Let's get on a Zoom. I got a half hour, you know, to teach me everything. Uh, but then, of course, the problem is when it gets to the other end of the funnel, they're like, yeah, no, we're not writing any checks for, you know, 90 days. Or, you know, like nothing's going to close. So, yeah, it's it's kind of nice. I, I You know, uh, we're a little unique in what we do and how it works. And so it hasn't changed too much for us. But it has been a chance to kind of reset with a lot of customers and just check in with them and talk to them. And, and there is that common thing of, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, we don't have to get right into like, how can I get you into this car today? You know, it, it can be uh, a little more human and uh, have a little more fun with things, really. Yeah, I've heard other people talk about it as more around kind of product consideration at this point, because like you said, people probably aren't going to be able to bust out their checkbooks and they're not going to be able to convince the decision makers that, that we need to buy this right now because they're like, mm, I might not even hire you next time kind of thing. <laughs> like, So just being there and being friendly might not pay off in that, that 90 days, but it could pay off in the long run. And so I think that's kind of the weird uncertainty we have right now of, of is that the right move to be doing? And there's, there's, it's, it's been only a month, so there's not real data to show it yet, but it is that opportunity to kind of move higher in the funnel than, than just spending all your time with those the low funnel people. Yeah, trying to get it. Well, and then this is, a, you know, there's a philosophical approach you can take here too of, and Simon Sinek is big on this. This is his whole thing, the infinite game. You know, I mean, in the long run, even the companies we work for only have a limited lifespan. You know, it's not like my dad who could work at General Electric for 40 years. Most of the companies I've been at, you know, by 10 years, they've either cashed out or they've tanked. And so the relationships that you build with people are what are going to last over the long run. And so, and yeah, in fact, in fact, the way we met through Mike Damphouse, you know, I met Mike, uh, I was working with him back at Accurev in 2010. And even he, his business comes from the Play Bigger book. And one of the authors of that was Christopher Lockhead, who I was working with back in like 1999. I was a kid kind of out of school and he was like this crazy rebel CMO and yeah, he basically destroyed the marketing department of my company. It was pretty funny. He, he was a, a CMO keynote speaker and they brought him into the department. They were like, hey, he's doing this event with us. We can have him coach our guys for a half hour and give him some tips. And he came in and he was like, this internet is lighting things on fire. Like if you're not out in a startup now, you're going to miss this parade and you're screwed. And the whole department like was like gone within 30 days. It completely wiped out the whole marketing department. So, Oh um, man, that backfired big time for the people who brought him in. <laughs> it totally, he totally tanked everything there and it was hilarious. They did. And I don't even know if they ever pieced it back together that he was like the, you know, he lit the fuse it, because it was, it took five weeks to blow up. So yeah. And then, you know, I could go on forever. That company actually, even like two years later, the founders were arrested for tax evasion and ended up a couple of them went to prison and there was all kinds of, that place was just a marketing circus. It was insane. One thing that I thought was um, kind of getting back to the idea of building that, that rapport because people might not, be, people are scared that people are uncertain. One thing I noticed in my mailbox a couple of days ago was a big flyer from Walmart and I would normally just toss it right away. Like it just kind of comes through and I don't, I barely look at it, but this time there were no, big 99 cent coupons on the front. There, were, there wasn't a single coupon in the whole book. The whole, two, the whole four pages was games you can play inside with your kids 
an exercise workout, a couple recipes that weren't promoting any products. It, it was all no-name stuff. It just says, do you have mushroom soup? Substitute mushroom soup with chicken soup. And yeah, and pretty much just at the end, there was just a quarter page that just says, hey, Walmart's here for you. We're, we're restocking the shelves. We're limiting hours so that we can get everyone in. Uh, we're going to use our flyer space for community messages, not for promotion. I thought that was just wild. Such a, such a 180 from, from what they would usually do. See, that's funny though, because there is... A second side to this, yeah, I'm like the grizzled old direct mail guy. Like they don't have to do coupons anymore, right? All the restaurants are closed. They're selling out of everything. So they don't have to give a dollar off on anything anymore, right? They can complete, they are doing the right thing going altruistic. They could have worthless garbage in there. But yeah, it is funny that because I noticed that the same thing, the warehouse club that I go to here has suspended all coupons. And of course, there's the one side of like, well, you know, you've got the coupons at your house, your kids are sneezing on them, and then you're putting them in the machine and they're touching them. So like, I totally get that. Like, that's a smart move. But then there is also the flip side of like, yeah, half that coupon book was for like toilet paper, hand sanitizer and wipes, and they don't even have it on the shelves now. Never mind, you know, worried about the price. But yeah, it is funny. One that blew me away, my wife away yesterday, we got a mailer from Tiffany's, the jewelry company. And it was insane. It was like an eight and a half by 11 blue envelope that you open up and it had a, a bifold. So that was what the 23 by 11 sheets, you know, it's like, it's like a newspaper, but full four, full four color glossy. That's hard to get out. Full four color glossy of some new jewelry that they, and it was literally just huge pictures of models with this T1 jewelry. It's like a, you know, rings and bracelets with this logo, but it was just a flat out, like, okay, if you're so rich that you're sitting around shopping during the pandemic, you know, we got something new for you and cool. And uh, uh, of course, my wife was just dying because she's like, yeah, we are not spending money on Tiffany's <laughs> uh, right now. But it is just amazing how... And the other thing you wonder about too, a lot of this stuff is, you know, that Tiffany's campaign could have been in the works for mm. six months or a year. And so maybe they're just saying, hey, no way, we're not going to stop with that now or whatever. But yeah, that's Walmart has done a, a great job at kind of moving on the fly and doing stuff. They did a TV commercial with uh, Bill Withers, Lean on Me. And I don't know, another one with that too, you know, they're singing the song Lean on Me and Bill Withers just passed away. I don't know if they even knew that or if it was just fortuitous that that all went down, that they got the action from that. But yeah, the landscape is uh, constantly moving. It's crazy. So those like Tiffany and Walmart are obviously massive companies who directly influence like millions of people at, at the bat of an eye. So them taking those drastic messages make sense. But for smaller companies, from a marketing angle, what, if they haven't made any kind of like COVID related content, like what is the message there? Or is, do they need to address it? I guess it, that's a pretty open-ended question depending on what industry you're in. But, but what's your kind of sentiment towards addressing the, the, the situation? Yeah, well, you hit it on the head. It's, you know, what do you do that's COVID-19 related? And it's perfectly fine if you sit back and say, you know, what? we run a child's daycare center. And so there's, you know, the only thing about COVID-19 is that we're closed until June. And so, you know, it's okay to just be like, look, we don't need to spend a lot of money right now. And there is, you know, every brand always talks about and of course this is pushed by ad agencies but you know you do have the chance now to get in front of people they are willing to look at things so if you don't have that direct marketing mindset of like okay we need to mail this and you know we need to spend one buck and make two uh, that's not going to happen right now but you can get to a point where 
you know, like that Walmart mailer. I mean, that made an impression on you. When was the last time you remembered any specific individual mm. thing from a Walmart mailer? Like never. So this is the chance that you can get in front of people and, <clears throat> and you can do it at a better price than ever before. You know, a lot of advertisers have just completely bailed and shortchanged all their publications. So, you know, you could go to your vendors and be like, look, if I can give you half what we'd normally pay for that, would you guys be willing to do it? And a lot of people are going to say, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got inventory that's going to go unused if you don't take it. So you do have a chance to get in front of everybody. But, and, and always, and this is the mistake everybody makes with marketing copy is they're always saying, oh, it's about us. Here's our product. Here's what we do. And no, you have to put the customer first and think about, you know, what about our product can help somebody through COVID-19. And so to loop back to that preschool thing, yeah, preschool teachers know everything about how to keep entertained kids, keep and entertaining kids. So you could do an email of like, okay, here's four things to do with your kids this week that you know would be great. And for a preschool, that's you've got a geo circle. So you can be like, okay, here's four places you can go and not violate the personal social distancing. You know, you can do stuff that's relevant on target and unique to you. But yeah, and it's different for every industry. You know, there's a bunch of industries that, you know, I got a dividend from my toilet paper stocks. I mean, they're running around and going full tilt as part of this. So yeah, it really depends what industry you're in and, you know, how it affects you. Yeah. And and I guess you kind of have to take a step back and understand what what's the outcome you're looking for. Like if if you are in a direct response industry, now is the time to, I don't know, refine it, but you could still possibly get people to to take to make the purchase like a Tiffany bracelet. But you also ho- hopefully don't want to be the, the smarmy guy who's like telling people to use their government check to buy the Tiffany bracelet, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that always exists. And, and there's, a, you know, I was just complaining about it this morning. I had more than one email in my inbox that was like, hey, have you signed up for my webinar yet? Like how much of an egocentric message can you get than, hey, have you signed up for my webinar? You know, why isn't the subject line come join our webinar about X, learn about X. You know, if you, if I told you, you could cut five minutes out of your day by, you know, every day by spending 20 minutes on this webinar, would that be worth doing? But no, instead it's like, Hey, I'm doing more virtual sessions and I've got the thing you need to buy. You know, you just, yeah, that's the, the curse of our industry is that uh, Ogilvy always had a quote he used something about advertising is the rattling of the swill pail for the pigs or something like that. <laughs> Just like, you know, if you, if you look with a jaded eye, yeah, we can be seen as the kind of PT bar- PT Barnum on the good end. And yeah, like you said, you know, talking people out of their paychecks to go to the check cashing or liquor store is at the low end of the, the pool. Yeah. No, it's still essential services though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. The liquor store is essential. Mental health is, is important. Oh, that's a, yeah. I have a COVID joke, which is a rare thing. Do you know your COVID alcoholic name? No. You take your first name and you take your last name and that's your COVID alcoholic name. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, it's hard to find COVID jokes that aren't in poor taste, but the, and the other one is COVID-19. The 19 stands for the pounds you gain as you yeah, bread at I home. Heard, I heard that one. Yeah. Made my first two loaves this week. <laughs> Turned out okay. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so your work with Trust Insights is, is AI driven marketing decisions. Is that right? Yeah, you know, we normally talk about machine learning because we can talk about this. Artificial intelligence is really a fake word. It doesn't really exist. It was coined in the late 50s 
as, and it's always been the same thing. It's artificial intelligence is what we're, we're expecting computers to be able to do five years from now. And so, so it was just not, a really good marketing strategy to call it that way early on. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, and it, and it's interesting. They had the foresight to say like, here's the stuff we can do. We just don't have the computer power to do it. And finally, in the last 10 years, like now we do have some hardcore computer power and can make some of this happen. But yeah, like 20 years ago, people would say, oh, we're going to use artificial intelligence to read every page on the internet and create an index. And, you know, fast forward five to seven years, like, well, that's search engines. We just have search engines. So we don't call that artificial intelligence anymore because, you know, we were able to do that. And so the AI name has moved on up to the next thing. But yeah, it's, it's amazing that they kind of were able to come up with these concepts even before the tools existed. What are some of the things that we're hoping AI can do in the future that you're paying attention to? Yeah, the stuff for us is just ingesting massive amounts of content. Yeah, I mean, directly focused right down in the marketing and PR world is just the ability to churn through, you know, 20,000 articles and web pages in five minutes and come up with the, you know, the five biggest topics that are being talked about or taking uh, a huge corpus like uh, every all the social from a single event and being able in you know under an hour to be able to find out who are the 20 most influential people at the event and not the ones with the most followers or likes but the ones who put out content that was then shared and commented on by the most people you know the, the true influencers not just the Cardassian you know millions of followers but the folks that actually move things so that's a big area. Predictive is huge for us. That's one that we like to spend a lot of time on. And just, you know, if you have five years of data, you can usually come up with a pretty statistically accurate model of what's going to happen in the next year. And so rather than, you know, just sitting down in the corner and making up your content calendar for the next four quarters of what topics you want, you could actually go in and say, okay, we know that, you know, we sell cheese and the third week in November, cheddar is going to be the most searched thing that term. So we want to have our cheddar videos ready to go, you know, in the end of October. So we're in front of that wave. And so predictive is huge. And it's funny though, when you talk about all the cool artificial intelligence and machine learning, once you actually get into the client talk, there's usually a whole bunch of stuff that's just broken and not working. And, you know, everybody's data is a mess and needs to get kind of put in a more actionable system so that you can look at the data and actually have it tell you what to do, not just generate some dashboards. Yep. When you're talking about the the predictive side of it, what what do you think what do you think is going to happen with your models witnessing this massive change probably for the first time in its life? All of a sudden search is, search is going to change for these like couple of months or however long it lasts. I, I was I was listening to one thing a couple of days ago and it was saying that the number of mobile searches is is way down because everyone's at home. Like they may as well just use their laptop instead of using their phone because you're not walking anywhere. People are listening to things through their home speakers rather than through their ear pods. People are searching later in the evening because they'll just stay up later because they don't have anywhere to be the next morning. So I think that's gonna like that's a, that's a ton new behavior behavioral data that are feeding these models. How do you think that's going to influence its its machine decisions moving forward. Yeah, no, that's very astute of you. That's an excellent op- observation that a lot of marketing um, automation companies and other uh, people are trying to hide right now is the fact that pretty much most models have just been invalidated. And now there's really nothing you're going to be able to do to accurately predict what's happening like in the next six months. Things are pretty, you know, 
so what you would do just say, you know, you would still have your models run it on all the previous data, but the problem is your margin of error is going to be a lot bigger. Like before it used to be, you could be 99% certain that uh, halloumi cheese is going to be a big deal the third week in July, you know, because it's a grillable cheese, which makes it peak in the summer. And we could go in and just be like, yes, you know, we guarantee that you're going to hit that number. Now, you know, there's a 50, 50 chance. And if, social distancing and quarantine is still in effect. It may drop to zero, you know, there may not be anything. So yeah, all the, all the bets are off. Definitely. The other one that my partner over at Trust Insights, Chris Penn has been watching closely is like the unemployment numbers are just insane down here in the States. I mean, we've had something like 16 million people apply for unemployment, which is, you know, a full order, multiple orders of magnitude above any amount of unemployment unemployment filings ever. So yeah, the, you know, trying to model the economy and, and do other stuff is just a, you're not going to be able to do anything with certainty for the next six to eight months. That's for sure. Yeah. It'll also be interesting to kind of look at those, whatever the, whatever, whenever it ends, take a look at this, just that time frame and see how that could, I don't know if, if other events replicate the kind of behavior that happened there, maybe, uh, I don't know, given city has really hot weather, people aren't interested in going outside as much. Maybe you could kind of take a few data points from uh, the social distancing and see how people behave when they're at home. Yeah. Well, and in fact, we had a guest on just a couple of weeks ago that was saying, you know, actually the search patterns that we see are not incredibly different from weekend browsing. You know, it, really what we're seeing now is pretty close to weekend browsing. They, people stay up later at night. Uh, they're doing it all on their home devices it, so it's not, you know, it is definitely different, uh, but crazy. And I, the huge thing would be to take this whole stretch and be able to say now in the future, okay, here's how much we should be spending on public health and pharmaceuticals and, you know, the ability to monitor people's health at a distance, because we know that, you know, if we invest 500 billion in this, we could save ourselves from a $2 trillion collapse, you know, as yeah. COVID 2022 or comes around or whatever, you know, so there's, yeah, there's, there's tons of data that can be used. And then the other interesting thing too will be, will it change everything fundamentally or would you just be able to like take this four month period out of the data as an outlier and do, do the models all still hold, you know, going forward? It'll be an interesting thing to see how this, you know, how much does it really affect the way we live? Yeah, for sure. On, on kind of my last question around current marketing campaigns and strategies that we should be looking at if if all of a sudden your existing campaigns and all the work you the groundwork you've been laying is no longer kind of providing the same kind of returns or engagement that it used to what would you suggest for for testing out new ways so that you're not just always spraying and praying and and just trying without a plan but but you can actually meticulously kind of build some more data points if you don't have that kind of deep analytical ability that 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 some people are lucky enough to have yeah yeah well you can take advantage of the the easy hit for us is always google analytics you know i mean that's a big data engine and it's for free so if you don't have you know as first step have your website set up with goals so that you can see that okay when we do these campaigns it drives traffic to these goals and then you can see the conversion rates on those goals so that's always the starting point for that is that you can you know, for no money out of your pocket, you can at least have analytics set up so you can say, okay, we have these three different programs. 
you know, after two months, you know, here's how much traffic they drove into the funnel and here's the conversion rates. Here's the ones that actually managed to close. And you should always have a rolling process of being able to have at least three campaigns going and seeing which ones are not working and working. And the normal cadence for that is, you know, you take the three and usually what happens is one of the three pulls away significantly as a, a, well, maybe half the time. The the worst case scenario is you do three and all three fail, which is entirely possible, in which case maybe you want to scratch and go to an entire uh, different three. But we always suggest always keep one that you feel has promise because with every campaign, there's a huge um, learning curve and there's the returns tend to go up with the learning curve. So for example, if you're doing uh, Facebook ads, after six months of doing Facebook ads, you're going to know a whole lot more and you're going to be a lot more effective than somebody that just picks it up, you know, after a week. But yeah, using just Google goals to give you a compass as far as what's working and not working. And that can get funneled down. I mean, with email campaigns and social campaigns, they only have a three to four day useful life before posts are forgotten. So you can do that stuff in real time. And yeah, you can take advantage of it now. Try COVID related content and see uh, what's working and not working. If you could only have three goals, how many goals would you would you have, I guess? You know, the free package actually caps out at 20. And you, yeah, that's completely overkill. Really, uh, what you'd want to do is if you're pushing right to a conversion to a shopping cart, like that's it, that's just number one, generate sales. And then from there, you go up the funnel. And for most organizations, it's like, okay, well, if it's not actually a closed deal, let's count how many that sales actually engages with, you know, how many, whether it's how many shopping carts get stuff thrown into it or how many people do the sales guys actually call. Mm -hmm. You can do marketing qualified leads, you know, what campaigns bring us names and people. And at least by looking at them, we're saying like, okay, that seems to be like somebody that would buy something. It's not a junk lead. So that's a third level that would give you a third goal. And then, yeah, then worst case scenario is just like raw traffic. Like at least what do we put out there? And at least people seem interested enough to come look at more stuff. And so those four would be the, you know, that's pretty much your sales funnel. Those are great. If you wanted to throw a fifth one in there, subscriptions to newsletter or, you know, getting their text number to be able to text them stuff. Anything that gets them into the database is also yeah. something you want to check. But yeah, there's no need to go beyond those first five for, you know, any, for a business, even under $20 million. I mean, pretty much if you can hit on those five, you're, you've got your, your ramp going. And what'll happen over time is if you hit on those five, one, an individual one will get so successful that you'll come to a point where you want to hire somebody to just manage that channel. Again, so you take advantage of that, um, expertise and dedicated learning. So you're not trying to run five different things. You've got somebody who, you know, all day and all night, they're thinking about that one thing and that allows you to scale up and start adding more campaigns. You mean, so like if you've got a campaign on Facebook, you've got a campaign on Google, you've got a campaign on YouTube, you have then someone focus. And once you've realized what your cash cow is, you would then just have someone fully spend all their day optimizing that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it can go different ways. You know, sometimes we see where a single channel would work, like you'd want to specialize in Facebook or the, the other um, way that would go is you'd, you know, get a tool like WordStream where somebody could manage the ad campaigns across Google, Facebook, and Bing. And they could spend all their time then instead of working in those individual channels, you know, kind of having to just do clicks all day long, they could spend more time and like, okay, here's offer A, here's offer B, here's offer C, let's offer, you know, 
each of these offers 5,000 times a day. And then at the end of the week, we can go back and be like, okay, it's always got to be offer B. And they can you know, optimize the content more than just doing you know logistics and clicks all day long. Um, but either way, either one of those, you reach a point where, yeah, you're better off getting some junior marketing person that you're paying 50 grand a year who's on their way up and they can learn about that than the founder of the company, you know, spending time logged into Google AdWords. Like that's just not a good application <laughs> of your money. Or, and the other one is independent contractors too, you know, and, and there's a lot of things you can do on that front. Find somebody who's, you know, they're spending 10 grand a month on Facebook ads or, you know, really level up and get an agency where they're spending millions. And because those people will have learned stuff, you know, if let's say you operate a funeral home, well, that agency is running, you know, ad campaigns for five florists or five other businesses in that same geographic area. Like they know the kinds of things that pull and work and you'd never be able to figure out or learn that stuff on your own. So you want to get a specialist to help you out with that. So that was, that's, that's like paid or paid traffic. Any, any tips on generating organic traffic right now? Or is that really just kind of dependent on how you're able to kind of build trust over all your channels over time? Yeah, that's a great, I mean, we always um, say go with the organic first. As far as we're concerned, the organic stuff is the best. Like you, you know, you run the local pizza joint, you know where all the great bars are, you know how to make great pizza. Like you're, you're the, the specialist. The thing is, a lot of businesses, you know, the people running the business just don't want to learn how to do that or can't, you know, they don't want to manage web pages. They want to be serving pizzas. And so that's why people tend to fall over to paid because it's just so much easier to measure than organic content. Mm -hmm. But we found that the organic content is worth the extra effort. Maybe you don't, you know, you can't say, okay, we spent a thousand bucks this week and we got X back from that. But over time, a good example. So there's a local taco place in the town over. That's great. They've come up with this taco kit. So instead of sit, you know, selling $8 tacos or burritos individually, now you can call up and say, hey, give me the taco kit for 50 bucks. And you get a whole tray full of all kinds of stuff that feeds five or six people. And it's just, it's just such a win. It just makes so much more sense. And so they've got people posting pictures of their family eating the taco kit on their Facebook page and on Instagram and on Yelp and all these great pages. And it, yeah, it's just a great you know, it's just a smart campaign. They just did the right thing. And that, you know, parents don't want to be taking five taco orders. Like they just want to say, order the kit. And have that <laughs> that, that, that's smart too. Cause then they can use their organic channels and then the social proof from those images to create then their paid ads that are just families eating tacos without having to use stock imagery of families eating tacos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Recycle. But even better is like, you know, on Facebook where it's up there and like five other families are chiming in like, Oh yeah, we just got that last week too. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's getting people to comment on the ads is like the best form. That's yeah. You, you, you know, you've got validation now from the guy who lives two houses over from me and, and yeah, better yet. It's like the kids are there eating it. The kids start talking about it, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an easy hit. So, yeah, it's just, you know, where do you find all the hours in the day, you know, when you're running a small business? And I guess the more general advice is in the tech space, we say you need to spend, be spending half your time. Half your time needs to be on the product and half the time needs to be on efforts that are going to bring more people in because great products just don't sell themselves. You know, you need to work on awareness and getting in front of people. For local geographic businesses, I, you know, maybe it's maybe only 75, 25. But yeah, in the long run, if you want to succeed, you know, having a community that you can send emails to or text messages to, that, that's just a huge win. You know, if you've got permission to talk to people and say, hey, you know, hey, we're the local barbecue joint. We've got the uh, summer sausages in and we've got, you know, 
the summer beers have made it this week. Come check us out. Like that kind of stuff is an advantage that people that don't have that info can't compete with. Yeah. Are you, are you going to be having the taco tray tonight? <laughs> we had the taco tray last night. <laughs> it was, a, <laughs> it was a huge sell. It was just so easy to do. It's just insane. Cause I mean, there's, you know, there's another Mexican place that's half the drive for me and there's uh, an Asian place and an Indian place, but it was just like, pick up the phone and say taco tray. And like, that's it. It's all done. Yeah. It's just, you can't, and the flat, I don't know, flat rate price too is another thing. You're not going to, yeah. You're not going to be like, well, $50 on the dot is pretty, I don't think, I don't <laughs> like they can charge yeah. whatever they want. Right. 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 I've exactly. Been, it's interesting. I should probably dig in more with them and like find out, you know, is that a more profitable product than them doing five tacos? And I'm, yeah. Cause man, there's a lot of plastic tubs. That's one thing that does kind of break my heart. I feel like we're the, you know, we're raising the ocean one degree just with our taco tray, but that's, <laughs> uh, you know, just part of the cost of doing business for them. I have really been enjoying seeing local businesses step up and figure out ways to deliver their stuff, whether it's like phone orders or I've seen some people take 3D images of their store so you can kind of walk the store and then write your your list and just email it to them. I heard that if you just call Bulk Barn, I don't know if that's a, just a Canadian spot, but like a, just a bulk grocery store, they, they then bag it for you and they've got like the full hazmat suit on and then you meet <laughs> them in the parking lot and they've got the debit machine on the end of a stick and you like tap it and then they just like throw the bags in your car. So it's cool seeing people figure out new ways to sell their product. And, and if you're online, it's kind of business as usual, except people are freaked out. And if you're in the brick and mortar local businesses, you are just having to totally reinvent how you get your message across and how do you deliver the product too. Yeah, isn't it? It's it's amazing. And we we're seeing a sea change now with that too and that like for the first couple of weeks while well, you could still order stuff from Amazon, but now every once in a while you're putting stuff on Amazon. It's like, okay, yeah, that'll be there in 6 weeks, you know, and you're like, oh, well, I, that's not going to cut it. What do we do? But it is interesting too. It's like, okay, so why didn't retail ever do any of this stuff before? You know, I mean, Amazon was still beating on everybody and even going back further to, you know, bookstores getting wiped out and stuff like that. And now it's hey, people are willing to you know, throw it in your car as you drive by. It's a, they're they're getting creative and trying new stuff. So yeah, it's desperate times cause desperate measures. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what of this stuff survives. And yeah, it goes beyond when things get back to, you know, whatever is going to be normal. Yeah, for sure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, John. This has been super fun. You're still recording episodes. So if you don't have the time to go back and listen to 13 years worth of audio, John does have a book with kind of like the, the best plays and like a compilation of all of the, the stuff you've learned over that time. Oh yeah, that's cool. The Marketing Over Coffee Playbook. Yeah, you can grab that up on Amazon. Hopefully it'll be less than a month to ship to you. <laughs> but uh, that's good. We have up on the website too, the most popular episodes. There's a link to the 10, you know, that get the most downloads. Um, I think iTunes has... The, the feed's limited to 100, so it's like only two years worth of stuff. We do have an app. If you spend like a buck, you can get the app, and that will actually get you access to the back catalog, and you can dig in and yeah, if you really want to go back. I mean, it's, it's funny, too, that you mentioned some – because as part of doing the book, I did dig into all the back episodes, and it was about 40% of the stuff is still like dead on relevant. But then there's, you know, <clears throat> those episodes on how to get more people to your MySpace page. Nobody's going back to any of that stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can kind of laugh at now as stuff that we thought was cool and nobody cares about anymore at all. (laughs) Nature of the beast. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, Stuart. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. 
If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.